On the morning of July 2nd, the Union Army found itself in a difficult position. Its forces had pulled back through town and established a fishhook defensive line from Cemetery Hill all the way to Cemetery Ridge. Even with reinforcements arriving, its situation was desperate. Union General Dan Sickles arrived with the Third Corps on the night of July 1st and fell in onto the left flank. Assigned to tie his positions in with the Union line on Cemetery Ridge, Sickles found himself at the base of a series of rises. If Confederate forces attacked his men there, they would face an uphill battle and a torrent of fire. To his front, Sickles saw an elevated position covered in peach trees. That high ground beckoned to him. Sickles moved his men forward to secure the peach orchard, leaving behind his assigned position in the Union line. From the peach orchard, he held the high ground, but his flanks were dangerously exposed. And in this forward position, it would be very difficult for reinforcements to reach him. Should this position be overrun, the gap they had left in the Union lines would be exposed. Sickles' men, greatly diminished by previous engagements, would be interwoven in between cannon crews and artillery pieces all along the orchard. Among the regiments positioned here were the men of the 2nd New Hampshire. Raised in Portsmouth in May of 1861, the men of the 2nd were veterans of almost every battle from Bull Run to Fredericksburg. The regiment took a forward position in the Peach Orchard to protect exposed artillery batteries. Though a regiment on paper, two years of brutal conflict had worn on the men, and their numbers were only 354 when they stepped on ground here. Today, the lineage of the 2nd New Hampshire is carried on by the 197th Field Artillery, New Hampshire Army National Guard. Facing Sickles' lines were the men of General James Longstreet. Their mission, to hit Union positions forward of the main line of resistance and break them. Though the Peach Orchard held an obvious tactical advantage, the Southern soldiers also recognized the weakness of its flanks. If they could break this position, it would endanger the rest of the Union line. Among Longstreet's men that day were the 2nd South Carolina Infantry. Formed from militia units in Charleston, they had been in the fight from the very beginning, with some of their members even firing on Fort Sumter in 1861. Part of Kershaw's brigade, the 2nd South Carolina would push across this ground to attack the Peach Orchard. Today, the 2nd South Carolina's lineage is carried on by the 118th Infantry, South Carolina National Guard. striking their ranks, Confederate forces advanced towards the elevated Union positions. Cannon and rifle fire from the Peach Orchard devastated the advancing Confederates. Sickles was putting his elevated ground to good use. In the din of the rifle fire, cannon fire, smoke, and confusion, the Confederate battle plan quickly unraveled. From somewhere in the ranks came the order to wheel right, and Kershaw's brigade turned towards the Union positions in the wheat field. That deadly mistake would expose their flank to a fierce enfilading fire. Lieutenant Colonel Galliard described it. The directions we received required us to dress to the right so that this regiment would face to the right and then to the front. The consequences were fatal. From their position in the Union lines, the men of the 2nd New Hampshire saw fellow New Englanders from the 3rd Maine skirmishing with nearby Confederate forces. As the Mainers fell back, the New Hampshire soldiers saw the opportunity presented by that ill-fated Confederate order and Kershaw's Carolinians crossed right in front of their position. I reported these facts to General Grant and asked permission to charge. 
the enemy being close upon us, so near that the officer commanding the section of battery spiked his pieces, fearful that he should lose them. The general gave me the directions to go forward. When I gave the order, my regiment started immediately, and advanced 150 yards at a run with a yell and such impetuosity as to cause the enemy to retire to a ravine 250 yards in our front, where they are covered from our fire. When I directed the fire of my battalion of the left oblique by the flank at about the same distance, my fire was so galling, assisted by that from the third main, which had come up and taken part upon my left, as to cause him to break and seek shelter. Under the hail of the 2nd New Hampshire's overwhelming fire, Lieutenant Colonel Franklin Galliard remembers. We were, in 10 minutes or less, terribly butchered. A body of infantry to our left opened on us, and as a volley of grape would strike our line, I saw half a dozen at a time knocked up and flung to the ground like trifles. It was about that short a space of time we had about half our men wounded or killed. It was the most shocking battle I have ever witnessed. Though their assignment was to protect these guns to the rear, the commander of the 2nd New Hampshire evaluated the developing tactical situation, saw an opportunity, and took it, although not without cost. Their attack startled the Carolinians. They had not expected any fire from that direction, and certainly not a mass of charging infantry. As they poured fire into the ranks, the Carolinians fell back to Rose Farm and took cover. The casualties were tremendous. Some, like the 2nd South Carolina, pushed forward towards the wheat field and took cover in the trees there. They would leave 50% of their men behind on the field as casualties. Though the attack of the 2nd New Hampshire had been successful, a new threat emerged from the west. Advancing forces crashed into the salient and buckled the line. The 2nd New Hampshire, along with the rest of Sickles' men, were forced to fall back. But unlike the rout of the day prior, the men of the 2nd New Hampshire fought their way back to Union lines, making the Confederates pay for every inch of ground. The already shrunken ranks of the 2nd New Hampshire suffered an additional 158 casualties at this position, nearly another half of their number. As the Union line at the Peach Orchard collapsed, the mounting Confederate forces exacted great tolls from the beleaguered 3rd Corps troops. From their position here in the Peach Orchard, it was a long movement back to the main Union line. Fearing the loss of an entire corps, regiments were dispatched from the main Union line to screen the retreat of Sickles' men. Among those units were the 1st Minnesota, who successfully advanced and countered the Confederate attack, but at great cost. The 1st Minnesota would lose 80% of their men in that action. Fighting would continue elsewhere for the rest of the day, with the main Union line holding along Cemetery Ridge. There is much more to the story of the Peach Orchard, but it holds some important lessons for leaders of today. When taking initiative as a leader, it is important to understand the commander's intent. Was Sickles moved to this position the right call? Did his decision to move forward meet the commander's intent when he was assigned his position in the line? That fact is still debated by historians to this day. Though he took the high ground and used it to his advantage, his tactical decision that day had many consequences, and his men paid dearly for it. The commander of the 2nd New Hampshire also deviated from his plan that day. He was assigned a role in defense, but when an opportunity exposed itself, he took advantage of it. He and his men saw firsthand that sometimes individual initiative can have an important effect on the fight. 